I'm just my nose peeking out from behind it, you know. You can't see kind of me. It's just rolling along and I'm walking behind it. Um I mean we've already got the issue of like the gliding pants, right? <laughs> Welcome back to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host, Daniel Fox, here with my great friend Thomas Belzamo. Hey. And uh, Tom is a busy guy, but taking time this morning to uh to sit down once again for another conversation. Yes, and it's allergy season now. So <laughs> Every podcast listener's favorite time of the year when uh, <laughs> podcast hosts are all full of allergies and pollen and <clears throat> other aerated detritus and, and such. So, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> With that being said, uh, I'd like to uh, thank our patrons this morning uh, over at patreon.com slash reason together, our wonderful community of like minds there supporting this podcast with their hard earned dollars. Thank you for helping us pay our editors and uh, the people that keep this podcast going. We appreciate you guys very much. If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast, you can go over to patreon.com slash reason together and sign up for a membership there. And we would be grateful. Yes. Now we have um, we have all kinds of feedback, which is just fantastic here uh, to run through. And so we're going to jump into it. Um, and I'm going to start with, um, uh, let's see, this one here. Um, we had some good feedback on our interview with um, with Stephen Minion and mm-hmm. his uh, his great idea uh, of the question box there working with the youth and and again that's that phrase that rang true with me when we first talked was creating space to ask questions uh, which mm-hmm. is fantastic um, and so uh, Daniel writes here thank you uh, uh, for the latest episode with Stephen Minion that was very helpful. I'm also a youth pastor, and I've been thinking about doing something similar to his question box, so I might borrow his idea. That's great. Um, he said, on the subject of creating uh, a safe space to ask questions, I think you will find Matthew 11 to be a powerful example of this. I thought this was neat. Um, John the Baptist, the the very one, of course, who said, behold the Lamb of God about Jesus. Uh, he asks a question to Jesus that would, have, according to Daniel here, that would have him banished from our independent Baptist circles. <laughs> Christ answered his question in the perfect way and then proceeded to call John the greatest person that had ever been born for, uh, let me finish this off and then you can give me thought. I think Christ was more than willing to let people express whatever doubts or questions they had. Thanks. So <laughs> what, what's your take on that? Well, first, can I just say that is one of many questions, I suppose, that could get you banned. <laughs> um, so thank you for your uh, your observation there, Daniel. That's uh, that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good, good, good feedback. I appreciate tying scripture to that, um, which is inter- interesting with what Jesus did there. And when he responds to John the Baptist, all of the things he says to him are interestingly references, I believe, from the book of Isaiah about mm. the things that Messiah would do. Um, but there, there's there's multiple things represented in the Old Testament that Messiah would one day do. Some of them in, involved coming in power and glory and mm. vanquishing his enemies and so on. 
Uh, and <clears throat> it appears that that is the doubt that John is having at the moment, that Jesus doesn't appear like the Messiah that everyone has been expecting. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is reminding John with scripture that there are other things the Messiah is going to do as well, like healing the blind and, and the lame and so on, and uh, uh, you know, giving a, um, hearing to the deaf and so on. <clears throat> so, so he's using scripture in his response to John the Baptist, which I think is, is kind of neat. Yeah, yes. And and for those uh, not knowing exactly what Matthew 11 is or this interaction with John the Baptist, I found this so fascinating. But it's the passage, I believe, where uh, where John the Baptist sends some of his disciples, because I believe he's in prison at the moment, is, um, yeah. and saying, are you the one who should come or do we look for another? And it's such... Um, it's such a, a touching question because you're like, John, you know, John, you were, you're the forerunner. I mean, you were the one preaching out there, you know, you're so strong. And yet he comes to this place of doubt. Um, Not to mention he was a, a relative, <clears throat> an actual living ah, relative yes, yes. of Christ. He knew the family. He knew Jesus. Now, Daniel well. makes this statement here. Um, uh, I think Christ was more than willing to let people express whatever doubts or questions they had. Um, it makes me think about the religious elite and, and question whether there really was a doubt there or whether you just simply classify it as rejection, <laughs> you know. Among obvious, the religious elite? Yes, right. Oh, um, yeah. They, they, there was no doubt. Because they're, obviously Christ handled that differently, and yet that wasn't a doubt. But I think about, um, you know, others who say, you know, uh, uh, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, or... Or something like that. I, I, I find that story interesting where he says uh, basically to Jesus, if you will, thou canst do this. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, if you can believe. <laughs> you know, it, right, you know, it right, turns right. that around. So uh, good. Thank you, Daniel, for that. Yes. Um, another feedback from Derek says, uh, in the podcast, you talked about oppressive or overbearing rules in some churches and how it confuses or frustrates young people. That certainly can be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, I read this example of such things recently in my reading. He means his reading of scripture, 1 Samuel 14, 24 through 46. Do you remember the story? He says, Saul made ridiculous uh, a ridiculous rule to not eat in order to have victory. And his guys were famished and they're just exhausted, right? And we're not going to eat until we... <laughs> and um, and I, I do recall that, uh, Derek, and mm. that's a... That's yeah. a good illustration of that is sort of an, an unnecessary and extreme rule that really wasn't for the benefit of them. Um, I don't know, maybe it just sort of made him feel, you know, have the machismo that, yeah, we're going to push forward. I suppose it could be, you know, purely hubris and machismo, but do you think maybe that there was some part of him that believed that some sort of zeal and fervor to do something extreme moved the hand of God? Do you think he believed that? I mean, because he's wanting victory and he believes that doing this would provide it. Uh, I would more likely think that he um, is trying to create an image in the sight of the people. Um, but I'd have to go back and analyze the mm-hmm. text for that. You know, that that they sure. want to see a leader who's going to just, you know, get her done, you know, kind yeah. of thing. But anyway, I'd have to take a look at that. Yeah, because I'm I'm just in my mind thinking about even some modern day analogs, you know, in -hmm. which, uh, you know, not only church groups or churches, but individuals will will take extreme measures um, because they really do believe somehow that their actions like that directly impact 
what God is going to do. Um, hmm. Just wondering, you, you know, if that dog hunts any, you know, do, is there really any biblical merit to the the extremity of your actions moving the hand of God like that? Well, I, I um, tend to think not, but could I, I be wrong? Well, maybe, and that's that's one of those difficulties that it's uh, that I think is uh, a little bit hard to untie, maybe in scripture. But I do think about James, where it says, "The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much." And so, lacking, yes, yes. lacking, I see that, that as a different thing, though. Okay, okay, yeah, uh-huh. you know, prayer, prayer. I see that as a different thing. What I'm, what I'm thinking of with Saul is, you know, he's committing to a certain, uh, a certain activity a certain thing that he's doing. It's not necessarily prayer. It's, it's something else. Say that again. It's not, it's not prayer that he's committing to necessarily. It's the abstinence from food. (laughs) It's a, it's a different thing. It's a, it's an action and activity that he's doing. It's not, it's not prayer. Okay. Um, Right. uh, You're saying that by some just, yeah, well, I think they're still kind of tied because fast, fasting and prayer are connected. I mean, I know, pretty... I know they're connected. Let me let me rephrase it. Okay. <laughs> Some sort of ascetic behavior, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say it that way. Just self denial for the sake of self denial will somehow right. earn me something, right? Some sort right. of strictness, uh, some sort of religious practice or ascetic behavior. I see that as as also being divorced from prayer. Um, fasting right, notwithstanding, right. because you know when when Jesus speaks about fasting in the book of Matthew, um, it is while while fasting is connected with prayer throughout the scriptures, there is a legitimate connection of fasting to prayer, and there's an illegitimate connection of fasting. There are some who fast when and when they do so, Jesus said they would put ash on their faces, right, <laughs> to appear unto men as if they were suffering worse than they were. So there was an ascetic behavior involved for the sake of appearing very, very strict mm-hmm. and very zealous. Mm-hmm. And Jesus spoke of that as an illegitimate form of fasting. And he, he, he encourages when they would fast to, to, you know, basically keep it to yourself. Right. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's like when, when, when Derek here mentions Saul, you know, doing this thing, he's telling everyone to abstain from food and fast here. You know, is is there a connection to prayer in the text there, or is this just some sort of ascetic behavior in which he thinks that his strictness will move the hand of God because he's disciplining himself and his men to do something? Yeah, I don't, and I don't know that, and honestly, he that it's either indicated in the text that he thought it would move the hand of God in any way. Um, then why is he doing it? You're just saying, well, and that's that's the question, but because um, he wants see. to win. Right, whether he's tying that to God's work or not, it's a possibility. But um, anyway, let me get back to uh, uh, Derek's. Saul made rid- okay, yeah. So, uh, so Derek basically saying that could be um, a an example, or he's saying it is, and it could be an example of just a rule that seemed extreme because it says multiple times in the text that the people were faint; they were very faint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they needed something, and yet they were standing there looking at honey. You know, going, oh, we're not going to eat it." You know, they could have dipped their hand in, shoved it in their mouth, and kept on running. You know what I mean? Uh, but no, can't do it because there's a rule. And um, and uh, so anyway. Uh, that certainly is uh, something to consider. And wouldn't you say that's a part of, say, coming into the parenting realm 
Ephesians chapter six, fathers provoke not your children to wrath. That sometimes by excessive, yeah. unwarranted uh, rules. Now there's times when they don't understand the rule. They just have to right. trust you. But there are times when the rule can just be totally arbitrary and and truly without purpose right. and can be very frustrating. Um, right. And a father has to watch that. I don't remember mm. what context we were talking about that original question. Um, tell you the truth, but I, I kind of don't either. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> All right. I'm going to jump over to another um, feedback from Derek here, and this was on our um, um, our interview with Stephen uh, regarding this here. And he says, in talking with, uh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was. Okay. In talking with teens while I was youth pastor in Colorado as well as at other times, I've often made the first argument against wrong tattoos. So here he does make, um, first, I'm, I'm going to jump to the end of his feedback. Um, he said, uh, I did the same thing three years ago, uh, or so ago when I was put in the position of youth pastor. I had them submit questions and then we talked about the subjects. They were often multi-Sunday discussions. Nice to hear others are doing it too. So that's great. Somebody mm -hmm. else who's done the same thing. Now, remember on that um, uh, interview, we also touched again on the issue of the tattoos. Mm -hmm. And uh, he says, uh, his take here, in talking with the teens while I was a uh, youth pastor, as well as at other times, I've often made the first argument against wrong tattoos. And he puts in parentheses, yes, I believe some are fine, but some are wrong being that of modesty. Modesty has the meaning of not drawing attention to ourselves, but rather to another. A woman's modest honor, excuse me, a woman's modesty honors her father or husband. A man's modesty honors his earthly or heavenly father. Bad tattoos draw attention to the wearer just as an art gallery is set up to draw attention to the art and the artist. Uh, I think that's fine. Uh, I would not say good. I think that fine, I would not say good, tattoos are concealed and are for a reminder to the wearer and not, and do not draw attention to the person wearing them. This same application applies to gaudy clothes or jewelry and is what I think Peter was getting at in 1 Peter 3.3. 3. So as I understand, basically, he's saying, I think tattoos could go either way, and I'm not stating my position, but his here. Tattoos could go either way, but they shouldn't be gaudy. Is that how you read that? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, I think he's saying that there's kind of kind of the same conclusion that uh, I came to, and and I think Stephen agreed with it on the podcast as well. That technically, you can't say that there would be anything necessarily wrong with it, but you'd have to, you know, ask a lot of questions about why are you getting it, what is being represented, where is it, and what is it doing, what's its purpose, and and if you can answer all of those questions. And we should press Stephen to see if we can get his list of nine things. Oh, yeah. Right, um, I right. forgot I, to email him on that. I thought about that afterwards. I want to get that. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to see that. But basically, if you could answer all of those questions in the affirmative, then technically you could get something like that and it would be fine. But uh, it would be difficult to answer all of the nine questions in the affirmative. Okay. And I'm, and I'm going to push back on it. Um, I've been sort of the odd one out here um, as far as this issue goes, because I still think there's a little bit more of an objective reason um, not to. But to go but to his um, to his argumentation here that it is gaudy, I'd have to say, number one, that's subjective um, mm -hmm. because I agree. Cause what's gaudy to whom? Um, and what it's saying is that, you know, in the in the relation of the you know, being inked basically is making yourself the canvas. Um, and someone says, well, that's drawing attention to myself. 
okay, but isn't it a display of beauty, right? Somebody says, but these tattoos, they're intricate, they're beautiful, they are art, they are artwork, yeah. right? And in, yeah. a, in a similar way, we would say, well, rock musicians uh, are, uh, are, are talented artists. This is artistry, right? And, um, and we might go to an art museum and we wouldn't say, oh, um, that, that piece of art is too gaudy to be hanging on the wall. That's a, it's just a piece of art. It is what it is. I mean, so, I mean, it's very subjective in that way. Um, yeah. So that what are, are we just telling people that, um, you know, hey, get a tattoo if it's not gaudy to whom? I think there's more to it than that. Okay. Um, okay. But you know, as far as the the gaudiness versus modesty thing, if if we're just defining modesty as not drawing attention, which I think there's some fairness to that definition, and um, maybe one a limited aspect to it. I think modesty is different, maybe different uh, or larger at its core. But go ahead. sure, sure, definitely, the, the, and that's that's why I think it makes the conversation complicated because, you know, <laughs> for instance, the Amish uh, attempt to be modest by dressing very, very plain, but because they're so different than the rest of the society around them, they actually sort of look bizarre compared to the rest of society and thus draw more attention to themselves. Um, and and mm-hmm. there, are, there are Baptist Christians that do this as well, the same thing. They dress so plain, so old fashioned that they stand out and they look bizarre compared to the culture around them. Now, I'm Please do not accuse me of making the opposite argument that we should dress exactly like the culture around us. I'm not saying that either. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm saying that there is somewhat of a spectrum here in which we have to be thinking on our feet and not just draw hard lines and say, oh, well, we have to dress plain and old fashioned. Well, then why don't we just all become Amish and uh, call it a day? Um, There's even an extent to which if modesty is not drawing undue attention to ourselves, you know, certain certain uh, certain things can can actually hinder that exact testimony. So for instance, I live in Connecticut here at the moment and you know, I, I have a cowboy hat. I have two actually. (laughs) I have two cowboy hats. Um, Now I don't wear them often every day. You know, I don't, I'm not, you know, that sort of guy. And I do have cowboy boots actually that I do wear every day, every day. Um, You wear cowboy boots? I do. Not really? the not the pointy kinds. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. not into that. Okay. That's a, that's just a guy. little too little too much for me. Okay, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I I find their those cowboy work boots to be very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wear those every day. Um, does that stand out in Connecticut? Um, the boots maybe not so much. You can kind of miss them if you're not looking for them. But uh, but if I walk around in my cowboy hat, that draws attention because there's not a whole lot of cowboy hat wearing folks in yeah Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> um. Am I being immodest? Um, no, I don't think so. Am I wearing a cowboy? No, I don't think so either. You know, you could even say, you know, uh, those belt buckles. And I have this belt buckle somewhere. I, I think it's packed away now. But it's this giant bronze <laughs> belt buckle. Because I was at a conference one time in Oklahoma. <laughs> and and I said, I jokingly said from the pulpit to some of the folks before uh, we got into the event that evening. And I said, <clears throat> I said, boy, driving through Oklahoma here and seeing all these you know, longhorn cattle around and all these big fields makes me wish my belt buckle was humongous. (laughs) (laughs) You said it. (laughs) I I just want to stick my thumbs right behind that and just show my belt buckle off. And, uh, 
uh, afterwards, some guy, he said, I'll get you a belt buckle. <laughs> he wasn't kidding either. He got me this massive thing from this, uh, boys ranch that he runs there. It's like a huge, <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's like a manhole cover. It's gigantic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's heavy, um, but it's very intricately carved. It's, oh, yeah. a, it's a work of art. It's done well. And, uh, um, is that immodest? Am I being immodest if I were to wear? I've never worn it, but you know, would I be <laughs> immodest if I did? Uh, that wouldn't be the word I would think of. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> what might be the word you're thinking of? <laughs> All right, on to our next feedback here. No. <laughs> uh, was there something else you wanted to add to that? No, now that I was you've just the image the... of you in a huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just my nose peeking out from behind it, you know. You can't see of me. It's just rolling along, and I'm walking behind it. Um, I mean, we've already got the issue of like the gliding pants, right? <laughs> uh, that's not a knock on this. That's, that's a reference to your uh, disproportionate man's guide to buying pants. Yeah, that's oh. a, that's an old school reference there. Older listeners here who've been listening a while will probably get that. <laughs> oh. Um but uh but yeah, my point was basically that you know, defining modesty as only drawing undue attention to yourself. Um if that's as limited as we make that definition, <clears throat> there there is some subjectivity to that. Mm-hmm. In which mm-hmm. I could draw attention to myself, you know, even with something as simple as a cowboy hat in Connecticut. Um, sure, sure. You know what I mean. Right. So, so we, there's much more to that definition, and it's it's probably with outside the scope of what we want to really cover today. Okay, but thank you, uh, Derek, for the thought for throwing it <clears throat> in the uh, in the ring there, and yes. uh, and uh, glad to hear that. Uh, and I know Derek, I appreciate uh, his friendship and his his thoughtfulness and that and, and by thoughtfulness even that the idea that he's a thinker and yes uh, and we've had a uh, good conversation and uh to know that he would you know he's willing to be one of those to take questions uh entertain them teach with them good uh, good thought uh, and again for our listeners if you have uh, influence with uh young people you know to think this could even go outside of a class it doesn't have to be, if you're a teacher this could apply to you well if mm-hmm. you have influence what about what about just striking up some conversations with kids, um, and just asking them about what's going on? How what what do they think about what's going on in their school? Well, probably in the process, uh, you know, maybe not very far into it. If you have a thoughtful kid, he might ask a question like, "Yeah, they're doing this," and like, well, that's pretty weird, isn't it? Well, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know exactly, you know. And then he's going to try to explain what, and then you can have a chance to turn around and try to help him reason through an answer to that issue that's confronting him in the classroom or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, creating that space for questions and, and, and just to saying, uh, Hey, we can, we can reason to a, a biblical answer here. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, let me touch on, this may have been in the after show. So I'm going to save that one for the after show. Okay. So, um, elite patron Jacob writes in, uh, hello, I wanted to run something by you. I've been thinking about this for a while and I'm still not completely sure. I feel that this may be. Let me skip it down here. Okay, for the question. Is it wrong to look at something like a truck or he says a gun and say uh, and say something like, that's nice, or, that looks like fun? Is it is that counted coveting? Should I refrain from commenting on something because I really like it? Okay. 
So the idea of what, you know, what is coveting is, is recognizing something's nice. That should be nice to have. It would be fun to use, be a part of, uh, what's your take? Okay. So the word that comes to my mind when I think of covetous is another C word that's sort of like the opposite side of the coin from hmm. covetous contentment. That's it. Boom. Contentment. All right. So I think that just observing that something is nice, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. The Lord gave us eyes to observe nice things. <laughs> he gave us the ability even with creative minds to not only design and make nice things, but to appreciate them when we see them. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with appreciating something nice, like a truck or something like that. Um, I, I, I've looked at, uh, you know, guns recently, right? And some of them look really nice. Like, oh, that's a nice look. And look at all the intricate carving on that and the etching and all these other things. I can appreciate that. <clears throat> but you know what I can also do? I can also live without that. And I'm perfectly happy to. Um, I don't, I don't need to have it. I don't find myself discontent with what I have now because of the nice thing that I saw. And I was thinking of um, where it says in first Timothy six, <clears throat> he says, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment, let us therefore be content or let us, let us be there with content, but they that will be rich or want to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil and so on, which some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many mm. sorrows. There, there is something that takes place, I think, in the heart after which you've observed something is nice and you appreciate it. It's, it's beauty. It's, it's uh, quality. It's usefulness. You can appreciate all those things and you've not crossed any lines, but there does happen sometimes this thing. And it, I believe this is all inward. This is all internal where something in your heart crosses a line and you are no longer satisfied with the current condition the Lord has placed you in. And I, and I want to emphasize the Lord there that I think being covetous means I am no longer happy or satisfied with what the Lord has privileged me with. Mm -hmm. And I want something more. Um, there's a line that's crossed somewhere internally when that happens, where you're now coveting. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. And, um, and, a, and a little bit more nuance, I would say that it's even, um, uh, besides the contentment, there's a surrender there because I would add to it the component of, um, you know, what about a man who, uh, who sees what could be and he strives, you know, the entrepreneur says, uh, um, okay, I have this much now. I think I could make this business go and, and make it worth 10 times as much. Mm -hmm. Well, go for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, in some ways sure. go for it. And, and, and yet if it's, but what do I have to sacrifice or am I, um, a, a, will it ever be big enough to satisfy me? Has it created in me a lust for, um, a lot in life that I can never have? You know I mean? I think there's gotta be a balance in there somewhere right. to say that I'm always surrendered to what God wants uh, for my life to be. Yeah. And, and as I pursue and I work hard and I, and I, uh, demonstrate a work ethic, you know, to make more of what I have 
and to uh, to develop the abilities that he's given me and to have more, as it were. Um, That's a good point. I, wh- I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Um, where's the line of saying, you know, there's, there's a line of saying, but as I'm developing that, it's for his purpose and not mine. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think that as we read through, for instance, Proverbs, there is a natural way that God has put something in the heart of man to be productive. And, and a man is wise when he follows that mm-hmm. and, and he's industrious and he labors, mm-hmm. uh, which does often involve um, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The accumulation yeah. of wealth. And the reaching <laughs> out to get way. something that you don't have now. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, that the natural desire for production is not covetous in and of itself. Mm-mm. However, there is a line that can be crossed in which it can be. Right, right. Um, and why am I being productive? Why am I? Right. That? Um, so yeah, going back to your question, Jacob, I think to recognize um, the, uh, and in some way I'd say beauty, but in, in your case, I say looking at a, at a gun, to recognize the value of something and to recognize that that, that that is neat. That's a neat device. That would, would be, that's nice. Or that looks like fun. No, that's not at all coveting, but where it crosses into that discontentment, as Tom's saying, the passage I thought of was, um, it's Colossians, uh, three and verse five, which identifies at least covetousness, if not that list of sins there, um, as idolatry, covetousness, which is idolatry. And that kind of gives you that, that picture of when that thing becomes such a focus, um, that, uh, Again, it's 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 manifested. It's betrayed by that that discontentment when that becomes such a focus, like an idol. Now we're talking covetousness. Um, but to yeah. just recognize that something is what it is, um, you know. Oh, that that's fascinating. Oh, that would be something. You know, to look at a at a you know multi million dollar house and go, whoa, this is really cool. You know, mm-hmm. now for me personally, I'm like, yeah, but I wouldn't want to take care of all this. You know what I mean? Like all the headache that would come with, oh, now I have mm-hmm. to do this or, or, or worry about this that's or whatever, funny. whatever, but I can still, man, that's an amazing house, right? Have you ever been to, um, Biltmore? Yes. Mm-hmm. Years yeah. ago, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was there once too, uh, at Biltmore, a huge mansion, Vanderbilt mansion there in, uh, I think it's Asheville, Asheville. North mm-hmm. Carolina. It's one of, of several um, we live close to Newport, Rhode Island up here, about an hour away from there. And there's an entire street in Newport, uh, Bellevue Avenue. And they've got all of these quote unquote summer cottages there. <laughs> yeah, cottage. That's literally what they considered them with summer cottages. Yeah. Uh, people like the Vanderbilts and that's the name that comes to mind. There were others that lived there too, and they would only spend the summers there. Mm-hmm. And they were right on the ocean there, these huge mansions. And I remember <clears throat> saying the same thing uh, when when I toured them. I remember thinking the same thing that you just said. It's like, man, this would be a maintenance nightmare. <laughs> it's like just fixing yeah. the plumbing alone in yeah. this place yeah. it would just be horrible. <laughs> but at the same time, they're like, oh, man, but if I could stay a couple nights, that might be all right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have to have to worry about it. Um, so yeah. Um, good question. Thanks. Uh, thanks Jacob. Let me jump to a couple other, um, we actually, this may be the first time ever that something has been so prominent, um, on people's minds that two people actually wrote in, um, feedback about the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So Daniel, different Daniel than before says, um, 
what are the possible dangers of and your thoughts on new websites like ChatGPT and others like it? And, mm. uh, and then James uh, writes in, one of our patrons, in light of the current advancements, what should a Christian's response to AI technology be? So talking about artificial intelligence um, and you know services such as ChatGPT, um, can you give a little rundown first to our listeners what we're talking about in case they're uh, yeah haven't heard of that? Yeah, so so Chat GPT, it is, it, I tried this actually. Um, I tested this out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a web tool, I guess you'd say. Maybe there's a better term for it, but that's what I'm, I'm calling it. It's a web based tool. Um, think think of it as a search engine on steroids, yeah. because it's literally able to to search so much of the content of what you ask it that it can respond with tons of content in an organized and intelligible answer. Um, it's, it's, it's quite fast. It's really incredible how it does. It's, it's almost like you're talking with a person. And it, can I interrupt you just for a second to, sure. to clarify? Is, is it also, I thought I've kind of heard this, is it also in some sense able to build its knowledge base in the sense that it keeps getting smarter and smarter? Right, that's the correct. central whatever it is, server. That, yeah, that's okay. correct. Okay. Um, so so I, I remember actually debating the thing uh, just for fun. Um, about <laughs> debating uh, the, the AI computer, the server, essentially. I was, I was okay. debating it on the origins of the, uh, the earth, okay. the age of the earth and a uh, uniformitarianism. And I got to a point where, where I broke it because it kept, uh, asking or it kept responding with the same thing. And I kept rebuttaling and re- it responded. And I kept rebuttaling. And then finally it, uh, it just said, you know, an unknown error has occurred or something like that. Um, but the entire time I felt like I was actually debating a person Yeah, because it can, it can respond to you in intelligible English. It's not, it's not like broken English where it's just, you know, putting together random words that don't exactly fit. The thing is, is genuinely intelligent in some way. However, there's a caveat with this that it has to get its initial instructions somewhere. So like, it's like any computer program, and I don't know how familiar you are with computer programming languages. I'm not. I'm not an expert with them, but I have dabbled in some um, working with Arduinos in the past, which is like a little chip. I guess you can tell it to do certain things, and it controls other devices and things. Mm-hmm. So, you, so you, when it comes to programming anything, <clears throat> you're using computer languages, and this is this is a very rudimentary explanation of it because, again, I'm no expert. But you have to tell it to do something first. It can't do anything without you giving it instructions. Mm -hmm. And the same would apply to artificial intelligence. Hence the word artificial, Mm -hmm. because ultimately Mm -hmm. it's, it was never intelligent on its own to begin with Mm -hmm. somebody somewhere or some group of somebody's told it how to learn it. It gave it the, the ability to do that. So it's going to always in some ways mirror the learning tendencies, the biases, even uh, the preconceived notions of whoever taught it. Can it learn beyond that? Yes. But because it's artificial intelligence, it's always going to develop the same biases it was originally instructed with. Hmm. 
Um, and there have been all sorts of people that have tested this already, asking it controversial questions to see whether it comes out as you know an anti-Christian thing or, or a or a uh, you know a leftist versus a, a conservative you know sort of thing. It does tend to lean to the left, from what I've heard, um, quite dramatically in some ways. Um, <clears throat> and there's been all sorts of experiments. You can Google these, and people have have experimented with in various ways. The question that Daniel is asking about AI, um, let me see if I can get his exact wording again here. <clears throat> yeah, it was well, well asked. He says, what are the possible dangers of, well, we've already started to see some of the possible dangers of it, <clears throat> is that people are cheating with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people are, are, are using it to write papers in school. Yeah, I can like write a paper for you, right? And, yeah, and you can just it, tell how it. How does the teacher know? Right. right. You can just tell it, write a, a paper. You can even tell it to write something in the style of someone who has a, a unique style and it'll write it in their style. Like, I don't even know how it knows how to do that. Um, for instance, um, we, we know uh, a realtor who, when he writes the, uh, the copy for when he sells a house, <clears throat> he, he just puts in a few keywords and he says, write a, a, write a home sale thing on, on whatever property. And, uh, and it'll write up this charming little description of a property and everything. Oh my. It takes him two seconds to do it. <clears throat> yep. Um, and I think that, you know, and that's his business. I have, I, I can't say I really have an issue with him using his, as a strategy to make his workflow better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when someone's in school and they're trying to prove that they've achieved a certain level of learning, but then they use AI to write their paper, that's dishonest. <clears throat> Right. So we've already seen people using it in dishonest ways. And I think that's perhaps the most anodyne of the things I yeah, think we're going right, to see AI right, do. Right. Um, I think personally, there's going to be ways in which this sort of thing is going to influence search results going forward. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It's going to influence. And, and this already happens, by the way, right. with search engines. Right. If you're not careful, you will only see the results that Google wants you to see. Mm-hmm. It's already happening. AI is just going to make it more subtle, I believe. Um, And it's also going to, I think, in many ways be used for propaganda. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A a fractured society is certainly helpful to our enemies. And we've already seen, you know, different versions of this used on uh, Twitter. Um, They're called bots. They tend to be called bots. It is a form of artificial intelligence in some ways in which they're able to promote ideas that fracture people against each other, make people angry, uh, inflame situations and such. And a lot of it was bot activity. Um, you know, this would have been back mostly before Elon Musk uh, took over at Twitter, though I think a lot of it still persists. Um, he's still, you know, wanting to clean house there. You know, th- think what you want about Elon Musk. I'm, I don't really have an opinion, you know, yay or nay on him. Um, I'm sort of, uh, the jury is still out. But all that to say, AI, I think, is going to be used to influence uh, the thoughts of society and make people think that there is expertise and wisdom in certain things when there really isn't. And I would say uh, when, you're, um, when you're interacting with... AI like this or chat GPT, what it's what it, so the way it strikes me is that you need to sort of see, uh, see this as, um, a professor, uh, as an, ex, as a, as a, an extraordinarily in the truest sense of the term, an extraordinarily intelligent person who is unregenerate. 
mm-hmm. in other words, so it'd be the same as if I was talking to someone who is very smart, but without, uh, but without the now the an understanding of Scripture or the aid of the Holy Spirit. So I could be, uh, I he he could he could um, you know masterfully debate. He could overload me with information. He could uh, sway my, my thinking. If I don't take everything he says back to scripture, if I make him my source of information, it is, uh, very certainly going to be, uh, going to be biased, not, not lacking content and not lacking material, but certainly, um, uh, biased and not in a regenerate way, of course. Yeah. Assuming that, you know, you're dealing with AI. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I think the danger is, is that you might think you're communicating with a person. Mm-hmm. on the web, maybe mm-hmm. through like, uh, you know, one of those support chats you get on a support website. Mm-hmm. A lot of those are AI now, you know, you might be communicating with a person you think, and what you're actually communicating with is AI. Um, I just, I don't put it past like whatever the most deviant and nefarious thing you can do with AI. I don't put it past it happening. You're right, um, right. you know, and it's like, can we just let social media kind of be our historical example of this? Um, you know, something that was meant to m- make people closer has only made people further apart and angrier. Uh, <laughs> what was meant to make people, you know, the, the search engines, what was meant to make people more intelligent has only made people more stupid mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. now instead of actually knowing anything, we have access to it at our fingertips. So it never has to actually live in your long-term memory. Mm. You don't have to have anything in your long-term memory anymore. And you start going to a unified source for information. And that's mm-hmm. part of the problem is when... Uh, it, it's not so much in the tool, it's partly in the tool, but it's in the use of the tool. And yeah. uh, when you begin to rely heavily on that, that's your source of information. It gets the things done for you. Yeah. Um, well, like anything else, it tends to make us sit back on our laurels a bit and rest a little bit and think that, you know, this tool was meant to save me mental energy and to save me time. Mm. So we place our trust in it a little bit. And we forget what the scriptures say, prove all things, hold mm-hmm. fast that which is good. And we can't just simply rely on artificial intelligence to do work for us. We still have to vet what's being done. Yes, we right. We still have and to think diligent, about things. Be alert, be awake, um, yeah. walk circumspectly. I mean, th- these are things that as, as a believer, we need to, yeah, just be alert. And so, um, so it's hard, uh, Dan, to... Um, to say what are the, all the possible dangers, I don't think anybody knows. I just think mm-hmm. it, it could be. I think it's as far as they can go. I yeah, think we're it'd see be it. very grave. To me, I, I see no reason why it wouldn't become a national security threat uh, uh, in the near future. Because if something can learn code and can learn to crack, you know what I mean? Crack yeah. security. Well, pff, well right. it, it can go anywhere, everywhere, right? Well, and, see, and, and that's why. Doing things that are very dangerous. There are some in society, I believe, who have learned lessons from the last 10 years, um, and they are speaking out about AI and warning about it. I know Elon Musk, for one, they're saying that he's developing his own uh, secretly, but yet he's the same guy who's also saying we need government to step in and regulate artificial intelligence because it's scary and it's Mm -hmm. scary what can be done with it. Um, and, and, and a lot of people are saying that now about how scary AI is, uh, because of what it has the potential to do, but then you introduce another level of complexity now where, okay, government, we want government to step in and regulate this. Well, then 
well, then who's the arbiter of information now? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a, it's a big mess. And it's it like, is. I don't see right. any good way of this landing. I don't see any good outcome from it, honestly, at all. I, I see the whole thing as just being a bad idea. And I, I'm similar in that I don't, I don't see, uh, you know, the future is not real bright. I don't think uh, for us as it relates to uh, AI, obviously it would have some very beneficial and extremely helpful uses. But given that uh, we live in fallen humanity yeah, um, and it. that it's used by, you know, corrupt people, it's uh, boy, it's just hard telling where all the devastation that it could it could reek. Now, that being said, uh, I'm not calling somebody who, you know, asked chat GPT a funny question, a sinner, you know, because no. somehow you're developing, you're, you're developing the system. It, it's, it's bigger than that. Um, and so as far as what per, each person's interaction with, it's going to be, uh, I guess that's somewhat up to them as long again, as they're alert and they understand that, uh, when I want information, I'm not necessarily getting accurate um, solid, uh, correct, godly information from this thing. So if I'm letting it form my thinking and I'm letting it, um, you know, do certain things, I have to understand that it, uh, it doesn't have necessarily my best interest or even a godly interest at art, uh, whatever activities sure. I'm letting it do. Yeah. All right. Well, that takes us right to the time. Thank you all the listeners, patrons for your feedback. Um, enjoyed the episode today and, uh, more to come Lord willing. But uh, if you're interested in uh, becoming a patron or an elite patron and getting access to this after show into which we are about to go, you can go to um, patreon.com slash reason together. Thank you for all of you supporters, listeners. If you have any thoughts, uh, feedback from what we've been talking about today or something we haven't even mentioned, but it's rolling around in your mind, uh, send it to reason together podcast at gmail.com. Yes, thank you for being with us. We are encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together. Mm